0: Welcome to More Than Amuse podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie.
1: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello everyone and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani.
0: And I am Sadie. And welcome back. Today we are talking about a new artist. Yes, and I'm excited. The fun thing about this artist is I do feel like she has gotten the recognition that she does deserve. Shout out to the Obamas, and I'll talk about how later. I don't know if they started it, but because of their interest in her work, and like, it was literally put in the White House. So, you know, that's quite significant. It's pretty helpful. It's like part of like the official collection of the White House during the, you know, the Obama administration. So... I feel like you know shout out to the Obamas for whatever they did to help this woman get a little bit more on the map and something else that I really love about this artist too and I'll talk about it more is just how I feel like she reached her peak creativity and found her true style when she was much older and Mm. I feel like that's something I've personally been thinking about a lot is like aging and which is, I know I'm not that old, like I'm turning (laughs) 25 this year. And like, that is so objectively not old. But you know, like, I think in the world of arts and music and pop culture, like anything that's nearing your 30s, it can start feeling a little bit old. And it's really easy to compare yourself when there's 19 year olds and 17 and 18 year olds who are, you know, maybe doing it better or, you know, doing it more successfully than you it's really easy to get in your head so I don't know it's just a cool story of like of her just like not even finding the right style that she would become most famous for until so much later in her life and I feel like that's been the mindset that I've tried to start adapting of you know what aging just means more life and more experience and so that just I feel like intrinsically will mean better art because you just have more life and things to draw from you know so definitely That's why I have fallen in love with Alma Thomas. I also realized I haven't even said her name yet. So today (laughs) we are talking about the American painter Alma Thomas. Mm -hmm. So for a brief summary, she was born in 1891 She was an African-American artist and teacher who lived and worked in Washington, D.C., and she is now recognized as a major American painter of the 20th century. She's best known for the exuberant, colorful, abstract paintings that she created after her retirement from a 35-year career teaching at a Washington Shaw Junior High School
1: wow i know i didn't know that she taught before i like don't know a lot about her life i've seen Mm -hmm. her art a ton and her art is so beautiful yes i went to an arts elementary and junior high school and i know for sure that one of our assignments was like to replicate her style of art but with like paper cutouts
0: oh yes Uh Mm uh-huh i can see how like yeah, that would, be, that would be
1: so easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Her art looks so much like a mosaic, but mm-hmm. she painted it, but we used paper. But I remember that assignment and I remembered her name. Because, That's cool. Yeah. She had that whole style of very colorful, very cool abstract art.
0: I know. And it really is so cool. And that's a one downside of having our medium be a podcast because describing these paintings is very <laughs> difficult, but they're so beautiful. So
1: and t- that is a huge incentive to go look at our Instagram. That's where we true. Actually post images because we know not all of you follow us on Instagram. So that
0: is a very good point. Definitely follow our Instagram and we will give you all the visuals needed for her artwork and for all the artwork of people we cover. So I'm just going to dive into her early life. There's like a brief state of the arts kind of like intermixed with her early life. But like I mentioned, she was born September 22nd of 1891 in Columbus, Georgia, and she was the oldest of four daughters. Mm -hmm. Her dad was John Harris Thomas and he was a businessman. And then her mother was Amelia Canty Thomas and she was actually a dress designer apparently she was really creative as a child but her like serious artistic career didn't really begin until like I mentioned much later in her life Mm -hmm. while growing up Thomas displayed her artistic capabilities and enjoyed making small pieces of artwork such as puppets, sculptures, and plates, mainly out of clay from the river behind her childhood home, which reminded me a lot of Augusta Savage.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that. I was like, that sounds very similar.
0: Hmm. I think it's like so cool that connection because I feel like that this was also pretty similar to the time frame of Augusta Savage. I
1: think so. Yeah, and like same in
0: area. Yeah, which is really cool. So definitely go check out her episode because, yeah, there's just more context and another amazing artist that was around at that time. Something that was interesting, and it didn't really say why, but she was very interested in the arts as a child. But she actually wasn't allowed to go into art museums as a child. But she was provided also with music lessons as her mother played the violin. So it sounds like she was just very creative as a child. But I'm like, why wasn't she allowed to go to art museums? I don't know.
1: You know what I think it is? If they were religious, it's probably the nudity. Oh, that's true. (laughs) That holds a lot of people up. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay, this is like a funny little anecdote, but I promise we'll get right back on track. (laughs) But in art history classes in college, I had professors get up and actually say me and Sadie are in a very religious state a very religious area we went to school in a very religious area even though we did not go to the very popular religious school that everyone talks about
0: no shade but a little shade
1: (laughs) a little shade however a bunch of people from our area did and so the art history professors would get up and they'd be like please don't report me to like the dean of the arts or, like, the student resources for showing porn in class because it is not porn. It is art. Naked people are not porn. And, yeah, there was just, like, this weird assumption that because they were naked – It was therefore evil to
0: look at it. I love that they had like, please do not report me. Like, this is (laughs) not... It had
1: happened before. I literally started laughing in class because I was like, what? Like, why would anyone ever assume that?
0: Also, like, I feel like maybe you're in the wrong path if... I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. Like, maybe don't take art history if you're if nudity. you're sensitive to that
0: and like that's fine if you're sensitive to that be self-aware like yeah not go in those spaces then
1: yeah <laughs> it was so weird so anyway i could see that kind of being a thing where like as a young child if her parents are very that's religious, true they, they probably, probably don't like, want that yeah let's not go look at the nude paintings from the renaissance
0: what a shame <gasps> yeah <laughs> all right well so this is like a, the brief state of the arts just to kind of show the environment i mean granted is anyone surprised that in the early 1900s late 1800s that it was a difficult place for their family to be in the deep south in 1907 when she was 16 the family moved from georgia into logan circle which is a neighborhood of washington dc and it was to escape the racial violence in georgia and also i thought was interesting to seek the benefits of the public school system of washington i guess that the schools were a lot better there her parents made this move despite the family kind of like came down a bit socially and economically they left like their upper middle class life in georgia to i mean i'm sure it was just a lot more expensive living in washington dc but describing the reason for the family move she later wrote when i finished grade school in columbus there was nowhere that i could continue my education so my parents decided to move the family to washington but other writers have pointed to the atlanta race riots and the racial massacre of 1906 as probably other reasons as to why her family left georgia because yeah they left that yeah. very next year
1: it wasn't a great time to grow up in the south
0: no another example of the racial violence that her family faced in georgia he like her father had had an encounter with a lynch mob shortly after she was born and That's- per- Like very, very scary things that had like happened to their family personally. So what I thought was interesting, though, is that Washington, D.C. at the time was still segregated. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. You just like to think that people are better and places are better. But I guess it was, you know, still early enough in history. But
1: that is crazy why did it take so long i know this like that sounds so ignorant of me like a little white woman being what the heck but I know. seriously like what i had so many moments as i was reading
0: about this i feel like such yeah like the silly white woman yeah. was like wow really it was still segregated but like it just yeah. It just seems so crazy because it's like, oh, we've we done so many episodes on other people who did exist in these time periods, you know? Yeah. And it's crazy to think that at the same time that there were these people thriving, like we were also dealing with many, most of the United States, if not all of it, like being severely segregated and That's being so severely racist to these people. And, you know, it's just, it's a good reminder to realize how much of our history is through this lens,
1: you know? And when you're a kid and hear about the 1950s, it sounds like a million years ago. Yeah, exactly. But now, like, the older you get, the more you're
0: like, wow, like, that's less than 100 years ago. and It
1: wasn't that long.
0: And there's a lot of people who are still alive today who were around. And, yeah, it's kind of one of those, you know, check your privilege moments of, like, oh, I've never actually (laughs) had to contextualize how How... long ago that was or how not that long ago it was. Mm -hmm. And also, like what else was happening in the world at that time and how like, yeah, even still when like the world was going on and like I said, we've done so many other artists, there still were a whole segment of our population that was being, you know, like segregated and everything, so.
1: That is crazy.
0: Like I said, I feel so like inadequate to like, even speak of yeah. anything towards race but anyways
1: you know we're trying our best but we are definitely not experts on race nor will we ever pretend no to be. like that's i don't <laughs> want this episode to like come across that at all because yeah. not at all but
0: so even though the capital was still segregated it did offer more opportunities for african-americans more so than other cities there was just more opportunities for furthering their education and they Mm -hmm. obviously very much valued that because that's why they moved something that she wrote in the 1970s that at least washington libraries were open to us whereas columbus excluded us from its only library so like I said, just so much more opportunity for them to learn. But she actually attended Armstrong Technical High School where she took her first art classes. About them, she said, when I entered the art room, it was like entering heaven, which I love that. The Armstrong (laughs) High School laid the foundation for my life. Which is also just another thing to think about Of it's like she didn't have the opportunities to take an art class before, but because her family was able to move into this Mm -hmm. new place, she suddenly got all these tools available to her That, like she said, laid the foundation for my life, which is is amazing. But it's also so sad to like think about, you know, all the other potential people who are out there who didn't have the opportunity to move across a couple states. But in high school, she excelled at math and science and architecture, I thought was interesting, specifically interest her. There's a miniature schoolhouse that she made from cardboard using techniques learned in her architecture studies that was exhibited at the Smithsonian in 1912, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: But although she expressed an interest in becoming an architect, it was unusual for women to work in this profession. So this kind of limited her prospects, but... Fun fact, after graduating from high school in 1911, she studied kindergarten education at Minor Normal School, which is now known as the University of the District of Columbia, and it helped her earn her teaching credentials in 1913. So like I said she first went on to become a kindergarten teacher and then in 1914 she started teaching in the Princess Anne schools on the eastern shore of Maryland but she only taught there for four months but then she started teaching kindergarten at the Thomas Garrett Settlement House in Wilmington Delaware and she taught there until 1921 so she stayed there for quite a bit of time
1: that's so fun so after
0: teaching kindergarten for a period of time she entered Howard University in 1921 at the age of 30 but she entered as a junior because of her previous teacher training which is Nice that she got to kind of jumpstart that a little bit. She started as a home economics student, planning to actually specialize in costume design, but then switched to fine art after studying under the art department founder, James V. Herring. And then her artistic focus at Howard was on sculpture, actually. And I guess apparently the paintings that she produced during her college education were described as academic and undistinguished. So what I think is so cool about her early life is like she was obviously so inherently creative just because she was like architecture sounds cool and then she taught kindergarten and then she was like I want to do costume design and then it was sculpture you know like it seemed that she just loved art so much and it was just creating it and kind of going back to what I said earlier as far as like aging she didn't go back to school until she was 30 and Mm -hmm. was still just exploring all these different art mediums which I think is really amazing.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: But she earned her Bachelor of Science in Fine Arts in 1924 from Howard. And she was actually the first graduate from the university's fine arts program and also possibly the first African-American woman to earn a bachelor's degree in art or the first of American women of any racial background to receive a bachelor's degree in art. Apparently, there's an artist named Keith Anthony Morrison, and he wrote that it was said in 1924 that she was the first woman in America ever to gain a bachelor's degree in art. So I don't know if it's like first woman ever, first African-American woman. I don't know. But mm-hmm. regardless, it was pretty monumental. And she was one of the first, if not the first, to get that degree which is really amazing that's
1: amazing
0: 1924 is when she began her teaching career and she taught art at shaw junior high school which was a black school in the then still and still segregated schools of washington dc and she actually worked until her retirement in 1960 so she was there for 35 years and she occupied the same classroom the entire time which i thought was crazy
1: cool yeah
0: while she was at Shaw Junior High School, she started a community arts program that encouraged students' appreciation of fine art. The program supported marionette performances and the distribution of student-designed holiday cards, which were given to soldiers at the Tuskegee Veterans Administration Medical Center. Cute. Which, I'm like, marionette performances? Uh, yeah. Like, I, I'm obsessed. And then, according to her reminiscence, she said, at Shaw, I organized the first art gallery in the D.C. public schools in 1915. 19- 1983 securing paintings by outstanding negro artists from the howard gallery of art so that's like just amazing like it sounds like she was such like an active part of that community and building up just the appreciation for the fine arts for those kids which i'm sure was amazing
1: literally sounds like she would have been such a fun teacher that's what i was thinking like marionettes and like holiday cards i just Mm
0: -hmm. i love that that i love it so much yeah the three and a half decades of her teaching career were described by Thurlow Tibbs, the DC African American art dealer, as Thomas's fermenting period. During then, she absorbed many ideas and influences. And after 1960, from those ideas and influences, that's kind of how she would go on to create her own distinctive art, which I thought is like cool of just like she just spent 35 years just almost, you know, trying everything, mm-hmm. doing everything, teaching probably like being very inspiring and inspired and just you know soaking that all in though while she taught at Shaw Junior High she continued to pursue art and like would continue doing activities with the Washington DC art community and like also doing things with Howard University so she was still being an artist herself but nothing really notably I don't think necessarily happened while she was in her teaching career. But during the time she was in school, she painted especially in watercolor. So in the 1930s, her style was described as still quite traditional and naturalistic, but she has been called a brilliant watercolorist. And then over the summer, she would travel to New York City to visit art museums, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art and just other galleries, which I'm like, how cool is that? During the summers of 1930 to 1934, she attended Teachers College of Columbia University where she actually earned her masters in art education and again her studies focused on sculpture and she wrote her thesis on the use of marionettes.
1: That is so cool. I like want to read it. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm like what what do you
0: have to say about the use of marionettes and like <laughs> I said I think it's so cool that the style that she is most well known for is not even what she got her master's degree in. Like she
1: was focusing Mm -hmm. on sculpture, and marionettes. I love it. Which is kind of cool because a marionette is kind of a mix of like costume design and sculpture. That's what I was thinking in a way.
0: Yeah, it is sculpture, but I've never really thought of a puppet as
1: being a sculpture, sculpture, but it is. That's awesome. Mm -hmm.
0: And then in the summer of 1935, she even further studied marionettes in New York City with the German-American puppeteer, Tony Sarg, who was known as the father of modern puppetry in America. So she obviously had a strong interest in puppet making and marionettes. I don't think I know anything about the history of puppetry. I don't either. (laughs) I'm like, maybe there's some forgotten woman artist
1: there that we could feature and talk about a whole new art medium here. I guess like sesame street is technically included in that history right i mean yes i think so that's crazy so i guess i did watch some puppet shows i I have enjoyed
0: some puppeteering (laughs) art in my lifetime Um, make it
1: sound all (laughs) so much more high High class yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like actually i just really enjoyed almo you know (laughs) like almo's funny so
0: oh yeah he's trending on tiktok in 1936 she founded an organization called the school arts league project that was created to bring opportunities to children so again just like other ways while she's already being a teacher which like in of itself is an amazing way to give back to your community or just like yeah actually like you know inspire and reach people she's still doing all these extra amazing things that's incredible in 1943 she helped James W. Herring her former professor at Howard and Alonzo J. Aiden find the Barnett Aiden Gallery which was the first successful black owned private gallery in the United States and she served awesome. as the gallery's vice president which I think is really cool
1: Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big job, too, for a brand new gallery. Right. And uh, Thomas's association
0: with the Barnett Aiden Gallery has been described as critical to. And according to the curator, the pivotal development to like the success of it and to her development as a professional artist. Which is really cool because it put her into contact with so many leading contemporary national artists, which helped her kind of like know about the trends and the directions. And it provided exposure to local artists, which both challenged and, of course, inspired her. So
1: That's awesome.
0: And I think this is just a cool thing about being an artist is so much of what we do is really just anything that involves art will come back and serve us in some way or another. And I think it's Mm -hmm. so cool that she obviously was aware of that and was just so passionate about art that she was willing to be a part of it in like any way. Whether she was teaching students and creating opportunities for children, being the vice president of a gallery, you know, and everything that she did went on to serve her and helped her be this successful, amazing painter whose painting was hanging in the dining room White House at a certain point.
1: That's... That's so cool. I know. And I'll talk about that Uh, more later. I'm like getting
0: ahead of myself, (laughs) but I'm like amazing. In the 1940s, she joined Louis Mayu Jones Art Community, which was the Little Paris Group or Little Paris Studio. But it was a group of Black Washington artists that was founded by Jones and Celine Marie Tarbury, and which Mm -hmm. were both artists and members of the Howard University Art Faculty. It said that it offered developing artists an opportunity to paint from the model to improve their techniques developing skills and styles and to hone their skills and exchange critiques as well as a salon or discussion forum to talk about the latest development in modern art particularly as it was centered in Paris so I'm thinking that it was almost like a overall group called the little Paris group and this was like the Washington chapter that they created of it okay I think that that's my understanding of what this is But again, just another way that it's like she obviously loved art and found every possibility to have it be in her life and just continuously grow and get better, and it helped her. Her involvement with the Little Paris Group is said to have inspired her to seek further academic training at American University, and one source states that in the early 1950s, the AU Art Department was regarded in many quarters as the avant-garde art department in the nation. And accordingly, in 1950, at the age of 59, She began a decade of studies at that university, taking night and weekend classes studying art history and painting.
1: She went back to school. She went back to school at 59. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You can tell she just loved arts and she loved education and loved arts.
0: Learning. Yes. It's so cool. Like
1: that was her life. That's incredible. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that idea of just like being a lifelong student of art, a lifelong Mm -hmm. student of music. It made me think of like, okay, am I viewing my musicals as like a final destination I need to reach? Or like, do I need to just maybe shift and just say, no, I just going to keep on learning? You know, like if I just treat this as like a thing I'm just going to keep on learning and keep on getting better at. Also, what a much more fulfilling way to live, I'm sure.
1: Oh, for sure. Like never viewing anything as like a completed project per se.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, at least when it comes to your career. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay, so I feel like I've been seeing her work around TikTok everywhere. Her name is Hallie Torres. It's H A L I E. T-O-R-R-I-S. And it's that on TikTok and on Instagram. And she actually does a lot of artwork inspired by Taylor Swift, which... It well, makes sense why it shows up on my... My For You page, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she also has a lot of stuff from, like, you know, the book that's everywhere in, like, book talk, like, Evelyn, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I need to finally read that book because, yes, I see it everywhere on TikTok. Yes, yeah, so she did a painting based on that. She's done some based on women in black. It looks like Painting Carol, All Too Well, got a painting. Well t- Ivy, like Ugh. a bunch of it so she's been doing a lot from evermore and some other things as well she also one thing that's really cool about her is her little bio says painting from the female gaze oh yeah because that. she has a podcast as well called the closeted artist podcast and it's all about her and just like her experience with her sexuality and like how that involves her artwork and everything else Mm. with
0: that as well that's her work's
1: really cool i feel like it's like the perfect bridge between realism and abstract which sounds weird but like you'll get it if you look (laughs) look at it yeah (laughs) where she has like a lot of abstract elements but then she like pulls in these realistic portraits at the same time and Mm -hmm. they're really cool The one I've seen the most is definitely her Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo painting. Yes, that one. As soon as I pulled up her account, I was like, oh, I've absolutely seen this on my For You page. Yes. So that one's been everywhere. And then I've seen a few of her other like Taylor Swift inspired ones. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen a lot of her other work. So definitely go check it out. She has prints on her website and I'm sure more coming. So
0: So this is another painter I've just found on Instagram. It's Tanya... And then the last name is A-U-B-U-T. I guess I don't know that's her last name, but that is the Instagram account. T-A-N-Y-A-A-U-B-U-T. She does mixed media paintings. and favorite kind. Oh, they are so cool. It just has showed up on my, like, discover page on Instagram. And they're people, but... They have spray paint. I'm so bad at describing visual art, but this is
1: just so beautiful. I am obsessed. Thank you. I need everyone to go look right now. <laughs> this is so cool. This is like street art, mm-hmm. but like on a canvas. Exactly. Like that's exactly what it like looks like. That's amazing. And she uses like a lot of things like paper, stickers. Yeah. It's just, That's it's just beautiful. So cool. And like such
0: a distinctive amazing style.
1: Yeah. I love art. <laughs> Me too. I love people <laughs> who make art.
0: That's so cool. Go check out her her work is amazing and I'm obsessed. And maybe one day I'll either buy something or maybe one day
1: she'll have a print available that I will absolutely buy. For real. It looks like we also got Someone sent us an artist. So I will share that really quick. Her name is Sarah Baba, and she's a short film creator. Oh, that's director. so cool. I, I don't know what the appropriate thing is when you, like, literally do everything for the short film. I don't know either. She is a short film. There you go. Also, her Instagram feed is just beautiful. I know. I was just going to say, like, goals. <laughs> oh that's so cool so it looks like her project one of her projects just went live um wait and it has like that Noah Centeno
0: Cint- I don't know his yeah, name Centenio. Centenio. what oh dang this is incredible oh this is beautiful I want to know how I can watch these
1: <gasps> shout out to to our listener Haley who sent that to us because that's this is so cool i know i like need to go back through and look it sounds like she's it looks like sounds like it looks like she's been sharing snippets of it for a really long time it's like i blame um, you yeah Ooh. So this is really cool i now have like a little short film i'm gonna go watch oh yeah you can just go watch it on her website that's so cool <gasps> oh i just love people who just create like this it's I so know. amazing oh, people are so gosh. cool Plus these stills, like the colors in mm-hmm. her shots from the film are just beautiful. So beautiful. Oh, I'm so excited to watch this. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you so much. And like amazing to see a female director. Yeah. Out there doing her thing. That's amazing. So yeah, go check out Sarah Baba for sure. And then go watch her short film and just follow her Instagram. Gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel inspired. Like she even has a post a little bit down that says stop telling me what to do with my art. Love that. Good. Yes, good for her. Go check her out and yeah, like keep sending us stuff, keep sharing everything you've got. All right. Now, back to the show
0: so she would not become a full-time professional artist until she was 68 69 years old and that was in 1960 when she finally retired from teaching so this is another crazy thing where in the 1950s she's still a teacher and then (laughs) just in the weekends and nights she's going to this american university school
1: yeah to learn more anytime Um, anyone ever says they're too old yes like no you're not alma thomas Mm Hmm.
0: within 12 years after her first class at american so she studied there for a decade and then two years later is when she began creating her best known color field paintings inspired by the work of new york school and abstract expressionism like i said 68 69 years old and she's finally doing the style and finding the style that she became you know most known for Which was interesting. So in contrast to what other members of the Washington Color School were doing, she did not use masking tape to outline the shapes in her paintings, which you kind of have to look at her paintings to kind of know what I'm talking about. So pause, go look, and then it will make sense. But her... Technique actually involved drawing faint pencil lines across the canvas to create shapes and patterns and then filling in the canvas with paint afterwards. And her her pencil lines apparently are obvious in many of her finished pieces because she didn't erase them. She just left them on. So I thought that was cool. Like she that's how she did it different. Everyone else would just tape it down and outline the shapes. But she actually drew them all out.
1: That's cool, though, too, because I feel like, yeah, hers look very organic kind Mm -hmm. of more like handmade whereas yeah i think the rest of them look a lot more crisp yes so yeah kind of created a different technique with hers her
0: post-retirement artwork had a notable focus on color theory which you'll definitely see her work at Mm -hmm. the time resonated with that of vasily kadinsky who was interested Mm -hmm. in the emotional capabilities of color and of the washington color field painters and then this I found this quote that said, something that endeared her to critics, but also raised questions about her blackness at a time when younger African-American artists were producing works of racial protest. And she stated, the use of color in my paintings is of paramount importance to me. Through color, I have sought to concentrate in beauty and happiness in my painting rather than man's inhumanity to man. Speaking in about her use of color, she said, color is life and light is the mother of color, which I loved, which... Kind of yeah. going back, I think that's an interesting thing where it's almost like people were confused by her artwork because it was like, oh, but you're black, so you should be oddly like putting her in a different kind of box where it's like, oh, so you, why aren't you doing things that are a racial protest or like speaking yeah. out about something when she was just finally creating something that, you know, she found beautiful and was almost, and I love that like point of like she chose to focus on, beauty and happiness rather than man's inhumanity to man and I'm not saying like it's better the way she did do it of course like Mm -hmm. I think there's so much benefit to like you know protest art and paintings and works that are like evocative and like make statements in those ways but it's like almost like a different way to profile her you know yeah
1: just because you're part of a minority group doesn't mean that all of your work and everything else about it has to speak to that like speak to that you know like it will because that's who you are and that's your life but like you don't have to consciously be thinking about that every moment that's kind of an exhausting way to look at the world yeah and and it's interesting (laughs) to
0: require that of a minority group you know to be like oh I need your takes now on this all the time when it's like maybe she just thinks color is beautiful and like wants to make statements Mm -hmm. with that and like let that be that yeah in 1963 she walked she walked in the march on washington with her friend the opera singer lillian evans but apparently she was a largely an apolitical artist she portrayed though the 1963 event in a 1964 painting and then a detail from that painting became a 2005 u.s postage stamp commemorating the march on washington fun fact so another cool significant way her art has showed up her first exhibit was in 1966 at the Gallery of Art at Howard University, and it was created by art historian James A. Porter, and it included 34 works from 1959 to 1966. And for this ex- exhibition, she created Earth Paintings, a series of nature-inspired abstract work, including Resurrection, which is the pieces that in 2014 would be bought for the official White House collection. And mm-hmm. Resurrection is a very beautiful painting. Like, the colors are just so good so definitely go check that one out um, another really cool theme that inspired her later work is the moon landing so 1969 the moon landing and that began a second major theme of paintings and there was a series that she created called space snoopy and earth that were applying pointillism and she evoked mood by dramatic like contrast of color with the same mosaic style one that it like it looks like you can totally see that it's a rocket shooting off to space and you can totally see this the space influences in this abstract art and it's really cool cool. to see how that inspired her and again it's just cool like to see how she was just inspired by the world around her
1: yeah I'm sure that's like can you imagine if we had never landed on the moon and then that happened yeah like how significant (laughs) like now we have billionaires going to space for like five seconds but like still yes (laughs) literally (laughs) that would be insane to just like have that happen that would be so inspiring you'd feel like mankind like humankind was just like limitless yeah for that like brief (laughs) moment when it's like no one probably ever thought they could do it and then they did they went to the moon that's so cool i'm that's amazing that she was able to create things surrounding like that as well and be so inspired by that moment in history I know. And I feel like, that the, like going to the moon and going to space is like
0: one of those things that it's like so a part of our lives now that it doesn't feel crazy. But then like once you stop to think about it, you're like, whoa, we're people are literally going to space and surviving <laughs> to
1: tell the tale. That's kind of. Insane, <laughs> so, you know, OK, this is another little tangent, but I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about people going to space and they're like, would mm-hmm. you ever go and then they were discussing it so like would you go to space like if you were offered i think i'd be too scared i know that i wouldn't yeah i would not want to at all i don't
0: i don't really have that desire no yeah it freaks me out way too much
1: and i feel like too many things could go wrong up there that i i'm good exactly it's like that you have no guarantee that like your life would be safe plus like i'm kind of okay where i am yeah like i like, really like her <laughs> anyways 1972
0: at the age of 81 she was the first african-american woman to have a solo exhibition at the whitney museum of american art at 81 years old oh. and later the same year a much larger exhibition was also held at the corcoran Gallery of arts Something that I thought was interesting is she denied labels placed upon her as an artist and would not accept any barriers were inhibiting her cre- creative process and art career, including her identity as a black woman. Apparently, she believed that the most important thing was for her to continue to create her visions through her own artwork and work in the art world despite racial segregation, which like, of course, she obviously was yeah. fighting that. But of course, like despite her not wanting to be put in that box as a black woman, artists she still was discriminated against as a black female artist and was critiqued for her abstract style as opposed to other black americans who worked with figuration and symbolism to kind of like fight oppression so again Mm -hmm. just other ways that people would put her into this box of like oh she's a black artist so it's kind of like why is she doing this when it's like no like (sighs) they, they can create whatever they want
1: that's literally such an annoying mindset to have Be mm-hmm. like you identify this way so you have to do this like, or it's, no, let her it, do it kind her of reminds me
0: of today when like how often it is that music that's created by black people if it's nominated for any awards it's automatically put into rap and r&b yeah and we were just like, talking about yeah that. and it's is that rap is that r&b music really like
1: yeah. Short.
0: Sure, maybe that shouldn't be the default, just because of what they look like. Like maybe they're trying yes. to do something different and.
1: Yeah, it, it's so, it's just so funny how often that it's happens. It's almost as if artistic genres have nothing to do with how people look. I
0: don't know about that one, Ston. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: like, I know, radical thought for everyone. Radical but. over here.
0: But yeah, it, it's just, that's still definitely happening today. And the way I yeah. see it, of course, is through the lens of the music world, as that's what I'm most acquainted with. But still, definitely. like with the Grammys.
1: Is there a name for that? Because it's not like cultural appropriation. It's almost the opposite of that. Where it's like instead of letting, you know. I don't know. I don't know. Is it just racism? I, I yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of a fancy word. You're right. It's just racism. It's just racism. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, um, man.
0: Anyways. But yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. You were talking about the Grammys, though. Sorry.
0: No, I was going to say that Like, I think the Grammys is the one where I notice it the most. Where it's like yeah. in R&B. And I'm like, I feel like there's a specific song this are like a specific artist that I was like, R&B. I can't think of it right now. But we
1: talked about it with Martha Wash. I know that because they like nominated. Oh, or
0: like she was an R&B when it was like disco, dance, pop music. Yeah.
1: And it it might have been It's Raining Men. Yes. Uh-huh. That they were like, oh. And it still just happens all the time. Yeah. 100%.
0: After her show at the Whitney, her fame within the fine arts community immediately skyrocketed, which is like. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Her newfound recognition was due in part to Robert Doty's vocal support for her as he organized Thomas Whitney's show as part of a series of African American artist exhibitions intended to protest their lack of representation. New York critics were impressed with Thomas's modern style, especially given the fact that she was nearly 80 years old at this time of her national debut, which, by the way, old people can have new things to say again. Yes, They're being like, wow, like so modern, despite the fact she's old. Like this woman has obviously proved herself as a lifelong learner and made it a priority to like be aware of the trends. And so it's like, again, this is an ageism thing where it's like, Oh, Oh if she's old, how is she doing amazing new inventive
1: things? And it's like, no, no. Anyways, the fact that she not only had to fight against racism, but then had to fight against sexism. But then had to turn around and fight against ageism. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my gosh, like, give me a break. <laughs> she just was over
0: everything. It's fine. Alma Thomas's philosophy of her own art is that her works are full of energy, and those energies cannot be destroyed or created, which I think
1: is so beautiful. She just sounds like the coolest person.
0: I'll I know. I, I want with. to talk to her about art so yeah. badly. Oh, and I have a couple more quotes from her coming up that I just loved. The New York art creator and editor Thomas B. Hess bought her paintings 1972 called Red Roses Sonata. And in 1976, his family's foundation gave the piece actually to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Joshua Tyler, who was the director of from 1970 to 1981 of the National Collection of Fine Arts, which is now the Smithsonian American Art Museum, also purchased some of her work and wrote to thomas in 1975 thanking her for her painting that hung in his living room and he said it's like having spring well before its appointed date which
1: i love that way of describing a painting that's
0: awesome so this next part i'm going to briefly talk about her personal life and there is a quote here that just makes me giggle So Thomas was, according to all evidence, never married. And in 1977, she told the New York Times that she had, quote, never married a man but my art. What man would have ever appreciated what I was up to? And she wrote, once upon a time, it was said, don't die having miss on your tombstone. I feel very proud of having maintained my miss. I say that miss stands for all the jackasses I missed in life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which... Oh my gosh. love that. (laughs) That's
0: really funny. And she added, a fine man is a delight, but for for goodness sake, don't get entangled with a jackass. (laughs) I just think that's so funny that the miss on her tombstone is for all the jackasses that she missed. And apologizing, usually we don't swear in this podcast, but uh, there was no way I could. That quote is just too good.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I think that totally just Her name on this episode being Miss Alma Thomas. (laughs) Miss Alma Thomas, absolutely. She took
0: that her to her grave, and she was very proud of it. That Um, is so funny. I know. (laughs) She had though an active social life with so many artist friends, and she reportedly rarely missed a museum or art gallery opening Mm. in Washington. So again, just like like
1: a good life.
0: Yeah, such a (laughs) what a life. No man. It's good for her. (laughs) She lived in the same house in Washington that she grew up in for nearly her entire life from 1907 when her family moved from Georgia until her death in 1978, just aside from like a few years in her 20s when she just worked elsewhere. And of course, like when she would visit New York for the summers and things like that. Uh, Her younger sister, John Maurice Thomas, who was named for their father and actually had a career as a librarian at Howard University, shared the house with her. But then she died on February 24th, 1978 in Howard University Hospital after a surgery. That did not go well. But Which I mean, like,
1: what a is long is this week, the day wow. she died. That's on Thursday.
0: Wow. Look at that. Good timing. Did not do that on purpose. So, yeah, she is amazing lived such a long life she used to be 87 years old and her first major exhibition was when she was 81 so
1: that's amazing incredible Oh man what a testament to like so many things (laughs) yeah exactly like i it's just so many amazing things
0: a little bit on her legacy so jacob kynan her teacher at american university in autumn 1957 he said that thomas played a key role in the development of abstract painting throughout the mid 20th century. And he wrote in the catalog of the Fort Wayne show that he met Thomas in 1943 at an event at the Barnett Aiden gallery, which that's where she was a vice the vice president over. And he remembers her at the time as a small, slim woman whose elegance of dress and manner and unmistakable firmness of character made the matter of her size irrelevant, which what a nice thing, her unmistakable yeah. firmness of character she was obviously so well admired
1: yes definitely
0: in 2009 two paintings by her including hard edge what were chosen by first lady michelle obama and the white house interior designer to be exhibited in the white house during the obama presidency in 2015 i mentioned this another of her paintings resurrection and that was done in 1966 was prominently hung in the old family dining room of the white house having been acquired for the white house collection in 2014 with 290000 in funding from the White House Historical Association. And this is cool that it was the very first artwork by an African-American woman to hang in the public space of the White House and enter the permanent collection. Isn't that insane? Wow. 2015,
1: very first piece of work done by man, a black woman. I will say it's very cool. They have a picture on Google of it hanging. It's very cool. In the dining room. Yeah, we should post that picture because it's a yeah, very cool one.
0: In 2016, the Wall Street Journal described her as a previously underappreciated artist who is more currently recognized for her exuberant works and noteworthy for their pattern, rhythm and color, which is a year, you know, after that was placed in the main dining room in the White House. This is cool. So in 2019, her 1917 painting, A Fantastic Sunset, was auctioned at a sale and it sold for $2.655 million. And then in 2021, very recently, a new record price was set for her work when Alma's Flower Garden, painted in, I think, eight, 1968, 1978, so again, like eight years before she died, was deaccessioned by the Greenville County Museum of Art and sold it in a private cell to an unidentified purchaser for $2.8 million. And the museum had bought that painting in 2008 for $135,000. So her work and her, I think, notoriety has just skyrocketed. And like I said, I feel like it's because of the Obamas, because they put her paintings on display, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, when important people pay attention to art, it becomes important. It becomes important. And I think that's a cool way that it's like you
0: you know people who have the influence like obviously the obamas had quite an influence but it's Mm like like what a way just like use that for good you know like finding these unsung but amazing artists and just displaying their work and buying their work and it's just and not even for those of us who obviously don't have quite the influence that the obamas had i feel like there's still so much that we can even do just by seeking out this artwork and by purchasing this artwork purchasing prints of this artwork displaying it you know mm-hmm. i feel like that's just ways that we can actually help this and in a way that like it obviously works you know where suddenly the Wall Street Journal described her as a previously underappreciated artist. And then now in 10 years, her paintings went from 130,000 to 2.8 million, which is insane. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. There was an exhibition of her art titled Alma W. Thomas, Everything is Beautiful. That was co-organized by the Chrysler Museum of Art in virginia and the columbus museum in columbus georgia that opened on july 9th in 2021 So like so recently there was a run in phillips collection in washington dc in fall of 2020 and there's going to be one in nashville in spring of 2022 so this year and the columbus museum in summer of 2022 it's still going on these exhibitions so if you're in washington dc and nashville i think google to see when those exhibitions are coming through and you could go see them okay i wanted to end with a quote from her she said creative art is for all time and is therefore independent of time it is for all ages of every land and if by this we mean the creative spirit in man which produces a picture or a statue is common to the whole civilized world independent of age race and nationality the statement may stand unchallenged which I love that quote, and I feel like that's I just like a that. perfect way to summarize what she obviously so believed. You know, of just like it's for everyone, and looks like creative art is for all time, and it doesn't like yeah. exist in time. And I I just really loved loved that so much. That's so cool. We've had this conversation many times. If we're adding to the list, like the names of people we want to talk to in heaven. You know, mm-hmm. and now yes. Alva Thomas is at the top of that list of whatever goes on in that afterlife. I'm going to figure out a way that I can go have a chat with her because I feel like she's just the most lovely person. Agreed.
1: But how cool. Like, I know. <laughs> I just feel. Yeah. Like I said, there's just so many lessons to learn from her about like when you start your career and like mm-hmm. how you go about it and just stick into your guns. Like she just sounds like such a fascinating, wonderful lady and just looking at photos of her like you can tell she was just such a kind and like strong person
0: absolutely and like I said her work is so beautiful the colors and the ones that were done based on space and the fact that she didn't even fully discover it until you know Mm -hmm. the last part of her life after just being a lifelong learner and yeah the way she just uses colors it's it's quite beautiful
1: it's awesome. It's so colorful. It's so pretty. It's definitely a piece you could hang in your house. Yeah, 100%. exactly. And that's the
0: thing too. Is like sometimes yeah. with like art, is it's like it feels weird to some pieces, you know, to put in your house. But like this mm-hmm. is so accessible. You could put this yeah. in your house, no problem. That's funny.
1: Full circle. We were just talking about that before we started the episode about how sometimes it's a little weird to hang some of the artists we've talked about. Oh, yeah. In your house. Yeah, we should have hit record. <laughs> we should have hit re- yeah. record at the time. Yeah, it's talking about how like I couldn't really hang a nice bang a solo piece because I don't really want a bunch of French nobility. or Spanish diction Royalty. Word. Yeah, just like a bunch of Spanish royalty and nobility like hanging around. <laughs> like that would be weird. Yeah. But you could totally put a piece by Alma Thomas in like any room and it would brighten yeah. up the space, bring so much. I know color. I'm like I
0: want this in my dining room one day yeah. or like my I don't know, my kitchen, my entryway. Like what a fun way just to like, yeah, brighten up your your whole yeah. space. I love
1: it. I actually recently got some off Clint prints. <gasps> you did? I didn't, I haven't gotten printed yet, but I like got the digital files and everything Mm. ready and they're going in my kitchen (gasps) because I just love her colors and everything. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to do like three of them, I think.
0: And that's another thing we talked about is we always like to cover the artists of people we actually would like their art. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just fun. And then I feel like I know about someone I'm interested in and then Mm -hmm. you can talk about it. And it's also just a fun way to like hang art that you actually know about in your house which yeah I think is such a wonderful thing
0: mm-hmm. so go check out Ama Thomas her art is beautiful it's yeah Definitely. it's great I hope you enjoyed learning about her everyone mm-hmm. I so enjoyed learning about this woman she's incredible
1: same yeah and just like I don't know, all the normal reminders. We would really, really love some ratings, especially on Spotify. Their rating thing is brand new, Mm -hmm. and you have to have a certain number in order for them to show up. So if you're just listening on Spotify, you can just scroll to the top and hit stars. You don't even have to write anything, it's so easy. And the same with Apple Podcasts. If you just go to the page, you can just leave a rating of stars, even though we would love it if you would write something as well. Yes, absolutely you can come and follow us on instagram at more than we post a bunch of quotes and photos and everything else from the episodes uh, that we have talked about that week and just try to continue the conversation so yes. it's a great place to be mm-hmm. and we'll be back again next week yes we will see you again next week with another i don't know more women artists talk yeah definitely okay (laughs) that's what we do here (laughs) bye